What's up, you media family? Vladimir Pragnevsky here, and welcome to episode number 50 of the Ukomedia podcast, where I serve our media family with weekly interviews from highly creative people. Now, today's guest is Ryan Summers. He's a creative director at Digital Kitchen in Chicago. Ryan, welcome to the show. Feel free to fill in the gaps from the intro and share something interesting about yourself that most people don't know. Man, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, I'm in Chicago now. I used to be in LA. I'm Chicago born and bred. I came back here recently. It's not even recently. I hit my two-year anniversary, I think last Friday. Oh, so it's actually gone by faster than I thought. Thanks. But yeah, um, I'm a creative director. I was trained as an animator before that. I actually was going to school to be a chemical engineer, which is hard for me to really this far down wow. in my career. Yeah, but um, I, I was kind of in the, uh, in the era of like Jurassic Park, Nightmare Before Christmas, Toy Story, I was in the middle of going to school and I was always drawing. I always loved animation and comic books and video games and all that stuff, but uh, I never really realized you could do that for a living. And um, for some reason, it just kind of hit me all at once when all those movies back to back to back came out. I just realized like, man, I think I could actually find a way to do this. And I was in Chicago, not too many schools that really did it, but there was one small school here that had a kind of burgeoning program that I could actually afford. I think we're having that conversation more and more now about the industry, about how to right. go to school and where to go to school. But uh, I had one that I could go to um, and I split about halfway through my chemical engineering career. I, I dropped it all and went to uh, to art school for two years. So I was, it's kind of, it started the beginning of me always feeling like I'm playing catch up, always feeling like I'm behind because you, you walk into an art school with people who've been taking life drawing and color theory and everything for two years and you come in cold, you feel like you're, uh, you, you got to double time it. You got to hustle just to, uh, to catch up. And <laughs> right. I don't think I've ever really shaken that in my career. I still always feel like I'm, I'm a little bit uh, playing catch up, but I think it's a good thing. Um, one thing that I don't know if people know about me, um, if you follow me, that I, there's probably a couple things you know, but um, I really, really love hockey. But up until not very long ago, I've never skated in my life. Um, never really been on ice Never put on uh, uh, any kind of wow. uh, skates. Never, uh, never done it. And uh, only recently, I'd say, like in the last year, I uh, this it was pretty embarrassing. But I actually took uh, <laughs> skating lessons on ice as a grown man, uh, falling How down. How was in front it? Of, uh, was little, it painful? It was. Uh, you know, the first two times it was frightening and embarrassing because there were so many <laughs> just little kids who knew what they were doing. Yeah. Yeah. Gravity <laughs> works really hard when you're 30 plus years old. Uh, yeah. And it was, I think I was more frightened that I was going to hurt a little kid than I was going to hurt myself. But uh, I'm happy <laughs> yeah. to report I, I know how to, I can get around a rink in a circle by myself. I'm still Good learning job. how to stop. Still learning how to stop. Um, That's but a tough it, one. it's getting cold here in Chicago. So I'm, I'm getting ready to, to uh, you kind of, I kind of in the summer stopped, uh, stopped trying. But now we have so many rinks around here. It just uh, snowed for like the first time yesterday. So the only good thing about the winter is it means that hockey's in full, full. Uh, That's boom. true. So I'll, I'll probably try some more. I'll probably if I can learn how to stop this season, then maybe next season I'll actually get some pads and I'll I'll try to uh, learn how to actually play hockey and not just watch it. <laughs> That's a tough sport, man. I don't know. Hockey is one of those sports where. I mean, I, I like my teeth too much. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've lost a couple before, so I feel like uh, it's, it's par for the course. So you got warmed up for it. No, I, it's funny. There is a Russian comedian. I forget his name, but he always, he poked fun at, at, at the American hockey, the NHL. He says like, yeah, I've seen your NHL. It's Popov and seeing you know, all these <laughs> Russian names is like, yeah. it's just like, it's pretty much the Russian NHL. It's the KHL. And the, yeah, okay. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's interesting. You're, you're, so you started out as a chemical engineer. It's interesting because it lasts, so, I forget, like five or three guests I had. I think Nick Lyons started out as, as a history major. And then uh, Lloyd from uh, Alvarez from AA Scripps, he was yeah. three years in medical school. 
So, and then you're transitioning from that to, that's pretty crazy. Why did, so how did that happen? You know, I think it's hard to imagine now because there's so many schools and there's so many tutorials and there's so many places online you can go to, but there wasn't really a place like if you were in high school and you were, you know, kind of even artistically inclined, there weren't a lot of outlets really that you go. You could go to school for graphic design, interior design, architecture is actually something that my school was trying to push me towards. But to be honest, it was so expensive and you're looking at four years of, I don't even know how much it was back then, but now like sixty, seventy thousand dollars a quarter of semester hundred thousand dollars a year. I just, I, my family and I looked at it and I'm like, there's no, there's no way. And there was no, there's no track record for what like a career path could really be either, you know, until CG animation really was something that was accessible. You know, if you want to be a 2D animator, which is what I honestly went to school thinking I was going to be, you really had to go into like maybe one of two or three schools and they were either in Vancouver or in, in LA and it was highly competitive and again, super, super expensive. Um, but I, like I said earlier, like I was always drawing as a kid. I was always, I did my own comic books. I used to like draw out maps on graph paper in my entire, like in my bedroom. Like I would, I had a hardwood floor and I would move all my furniture off to a wow. side, like my desk and my bed. And I would literally make out like with graph paper, like old school top down Legend of Zelda game, but it would be like <laughs> 20 feet by 20 feet or 10 feet by 10 feet. And you would actually, I would actually try to map it out, right? Like, or I remember when I was a kid, I would reverse engineer those kinds of games, right? When games were still based on screens, like you would run left to right and then the screen would pan over and then you'd have a new screen. So I don't know why I I didn't really have a lot of that in my family, but I just, I loved drawing. I loved like games and game design. And once you started seeing how stuff was made, I I was addicted to that. Like I used to love seeing behind the scenes books. And um, I remember when we had a show called Entertainment Tonight on uh, television in the 80s and 90s, where they would talk about a movie that was about to come out, but they would show you two or three minutes of them making the movie. And I I just was like addicted to that stuff without realizing it was something you could do. So I, I think in the back of my head, I knew the career I needed to be in, but then you have that the influx of the real world, you know, telling you like, hey, there's no way you can be an artist. There's no way you can have a career unless it's, you know, being in science or being a lawyer or, you know, those things that people tell you you have to do or you're going to be homeless and hungry. So I kind of, for a long time, I grew up on the South side of Chicago. I went with what everybody was telling you was possible versus, you know, going with what you you knew you wanted to do or what you're supposed to do. And I just got lucky, man. I, I got really lucky at the school I was going to. I was taking life drawing classes and um, I think I was even in like a web design class And this is, it's crazy. The person who was the IT person for our school, for our floor, happened to get a license of 3D Studio when it was DOS, when it wasn't even Windows. That's how I hated myself. But before it was 3D (laughs) Studio Max, he got a seat of it for himself, was playing around with it. And I believe he met like the Autodesk. It wasn't even Autodesk at the time. I believe it was Discrete, the Discrete vendor. And the guy told him like, hey, if you want to run a class or if you want to do something, let me know. I'll get you some educational licenses. So this IT guy convinced my school to run one semester over the summer on a Saturday and he got like 10 seats and I, he somehow like saw me, he saw that I was drawing in a web design class and he basically pitched the class to me. He's like, Hey man, you should take this. And for, I think like 12 weeks, we would roll in on at like eight o'clock in the morning to the school. It was, the school was closed. He had the keys. He walked everybody into the building. He locked the door behind us and we wouldn't leave until like seven or eight o'clock at night. And over those first two or three weeks, I just fell in love with it. It was just like, oh my God, like I watch cartoons, I play video games and I can actually make my, my stuff that I draw, I can turn it into something that moves and it animates and it lives and it breathes. And it honestly was the first time that I actually saw something I made impressing someone else. So I like, I, I think there were, the school I was at, there were a lot of people a lot older than me and there were a lot of people that were more technically minded, 
Um, and I didn't even have a computer at home at the time. So for me, it was just like a joy to be doing art with a computer around a bunch of people. And all those those chemical components of being in the animation industry all kind of hit me all at once. And it's it's what I imagine if you are in the right place at the right time with the right people and someone hands a guitar to you and it just kind of, you hit a chord without trying it. And you're like, oh shit, I can make music. <laughs> and then someone right. next to you is like, how'd you do that? You know, there's, there's that, there's, there's the craftsmanship, there's the magic of the sound, and then there's the reaction you get from it. Animation, in my sense, it, it's like what you do in music with a band, but just in slow motion. It takes a lot longer to make a song, in air quotes. But uh, I got that reaction, I saw the thing I could do, and it was just this world that I could start learning. And that light bulb went off, and I honestly, in less than eight weeks, I was doing all the research to prepare my family that I was not going to be in a chemical, be a chemical engineer. And that was, uh, <laughs> so you had to convince your family. <laughs> yeah, it was super difficult, but um, I, I, I've said this on a podcast before. I got, I just got a string of luck. Like at that time um, when I guess time and Newsweek or magazines, I don't know if they even exist anymore, but they both, this was in the summer. So they're both releasing their like, these are the careers in the next five years that'll be hot. And I think it was around the time Toy Story had come out and became like this huge hit. So computer animation was in the list for both of those oh, magazines. Like in that so that moment. was convincing. So I literally was like, my, yeah, my research was pretty easy. I just went to the newsstand, picked <laughs> them up, circled the pages, went to my dad. I was like, look, I'm right. Like, we got to do this. Um, and it was a little frightening. And uh, there was a little bit of like, go and try it. And we'll see how it works for, you know, the first two semesters. And I, I was off after that. It was just like, I lived in the computer labs. I was drawing all the time. I remember going and seeing movies and then going back like two hours later with another friend. Like I remember the matrix came out and I think we saw it four times in two days. And then uh, phantom menace came out and it was just like the world was exploding in front of you. Like I could do this in a few years and all these computer anime movies are coming out. So it was just, it was a really exciting time, I think in entertainment. And I happened to be in this world where I thought I had a door that would never open. And then it kind of slightly opened. You could see a little bit of the light and I just, push through as fast as I could. Wow. And what about your first job? When, do, how did you break in the industry? So I was, I went to school here in Chicago and, um, at the time there was a company called big idea that was doing, um, VeggieTales. It was like a direct video. Um, oh, yeah. anybody remembers direct video <laughs> like DVDs. Um, and I didn't work with them, but, uh, there's a gentleman who used to work with them that kind of got a contract and got a, um, a deal to do like four or five direct video, um, titles based on characters he created. And I had this, this, this kind of like um, this point where I had to make a decision. When I got out of school, I interviewed with a video game company and I interviewed with this guy. And it was a small mom and pop thing, 10 people in an office versus giant video game company with like 200, 300 people. And I remember interviewing with both and the video game company sounded really cool. But my whole thing is I wanted to animate. And I remember at the end of like a three hour conversation, they're like, cool. So what game will I work on if I come here? And they're like, oh, you're going to work in our motion capture studio. And my heart just sank because I'm like, I don't want to do motion capture. I want to act. I want to do animation. I want to breathe life into characters. And I went back to this other very small company. And I was like, look, I have this deal for X amount of money. Can you match it? I want to come here. And they're like, no, the most we can pay you is half. And I went back home and I remember like I spent two hours just writing like a list, like a column of the things I like about the other co one company, the things I like about <laughs> the other company. And at the bottom, it literally was, uh, the last thing was on the left column was like, I can animate tomorrow. And the other one was, I can make decent money today. And I just circled five times, I can animate tomorrow. And I went with the small company. And wow. honestly, it was the best decision I ever made. I met some of my, my best friends that I still talk to that work in animation now. I did nothing but animation for about a year. I feel like my work ethic, it was really difficult, really challenging, but we were able to to get stuff out with 10 people, 12 people that it should have taken 30. 
and I, I've said this to a bunch of my friends now, like I still feel like I'm chasing that. It only lasted for about a year and a half. Every job I've ever had since then, I'm still chasing that feeling of culture in air quotes, the, the culture we had there, the camaraderie we had, the, the feeling like we don't know if we can make this, but if we try really hard, we might. And again, it's that, that idea of like sports or being in a band right. and like playing a small venue and turning the crowd over for you or, you know, not being able to win a game and being able to beat the champions. Like we were able to do it together. And man, that, that feeling besides just learning how to do art and learning how to animate and the technical stuff, that feeling, I feel like every job I've ever gone to, I try to instill that if I have a chance and I'm always hoping to find it, whether it's freelance or if it's staff or if it's teaching online for MoGraph Mentor, I always, that, that feeling sticks with me and I'm always hoping to find it again. Wow, man. That's, I think it's impressive that you went, instead of going for a big salary, you decided to go with your heart, which goes to show that you truly love this, this, uh, what you're doing is not for the money. You're doing it for the love of it. And anyway, that's pretty noble. Most people go for the money. So that's pretty sweet, man. And now looking back, there's so much you learn from that experience that otherwise would be lost. Yeah. I mean, there's probably only a couple times in your life when you can make that decision, when you can say no to, to money and yes to experience. But I really think um, it's probably a recurring theme with people you, you talk to. I know talking to Andrew and listening to your podcast with Andrew Embry, that's a, a, something that's probably a theme in his life. But and sometimes you, you have to go for the, the long tail decision and not for mm, the immediate long game. tail. You never know when yeah. it's going to be the right decision, but um, it really was that time. No, that's interesting because, you know, Sergey and I both, uh, my twin brother, we, Sergey walked away from Fox Sports getting, it was a good salary. I walked away from a, a good salary job as well. We both quit cold turkey. I mean, it was a big pay cut to do Ukrimedia full time. And man, the lessons we learned in the last year, man, I don't think there's a school where you can learn those kinds of lessons, you know? So sometimes, yeah. I, I mean, it's tempting, especially when you have a family, we have kids, it's tempting to, to go after the money, but you got to follow your heart. And uh, that's what we're yeah. doing right now. It's painful. I can't say that, you know, there are days where I'm thinking about applying for jobs. But yeah. anyway, that's a whole different conversation for another day. Now, let's transition to a dark moment in your life, man. I want you to tell us the story of your worst moment in your creative journey, man. Oh, man, it, it's pretty personal. I honestly don't know if I've ever talked about this publicly, but... Um, Sweet. Awesome. I, <laughs> this is a good time I, I, for it. I, uh, I moved to Los Angeles with my, uh, my partner, um, who's my wife, and we were in LA for, I think, two years, two and a half years, three years, and we both were working in visual effects. She was working, we both really didn't have much of a, um, a network at all, and she got in doing visual effects for some small films, some small feature film productions, doing like Roto, doing uh, like paint and cleanup, you know, kind of the menial tasks, but the stuff that gets you in. And I got in doing some stuff for TV shows. Um, for I got to work on the Disney lot, working on a, a live action superhero show for ABC. And we were just grinding, just trying to make our name, trying to make our way through it. But I, I don't know how much people really realize how hard visual effects are and how like working your way up, especially if you don't, I think for anyone, but especially if you don't go to school in LA and you don't have connections in LA, moving there right. kind of cold turkey and trying to find your way up. It, it's, it's pretty brutal. But we were both working crazy hours, like like 60 to 70 hours was pretty much the normal. You get 85, 90, 100 hours. Um, and it, Holy cow. it just, uh, wow. it, it was something we, we both loved and we both supported each other. But um, it just, it was just that much time apart early in our marriage, really difficult. And I, I'd say my hardest, the hardest time was we, we broke up and uh, she had to take a job. She took a job, not had to. She took a job um, in New Zealand at Weta, like her first big like chance to work at one of the main studios. Um, and I just, I couldn't make that move. And we kind of, you know, everything broke apart. 
and, and seeing, knowing we both were going to have our successes, but it was going to be separate. It was really, it was difficult, but to flood this right back into maybe the opposite, which I'm hoping is your next question. That um, is the next question. The best thing, the best thing, one of my, I, that was probably my darkest day was the day, you know, saying goodbye, knowing what it meant, knowing that it was two journeys that are going to kind of, that were one that are now going separate. But less than 12 hours after that, I was working at Imaginary Forces, literally put this person on a plane in New Zealand, knowing what it was going to be. And then 12 hours later, I was at Warner Brothers Studios meeting Guillermo del Toro for the first time to brief him wow, um, on our pitch for the titles for Pacific Rim. So literally, he's my number one hero. Like He is the director of all the movies I love as a person. He's a completely amazing creativity and working as a creative for him is probably the best experience you'll ever have if you ever get a chance to. So to go from that, going from like, oh man, this is the worst thing to, you know, the it, it, it was the biggest seesaw, the biggest kind of opposites that you could possibly have is like, wow, this person, I'm talking to him, I'm communicating with him. He's liking our ideas. He's super excited. We're talking movies. like, And now I know for the next however long, I'm going to have this relationship in my life. So yeah, it was I, I, it was both the extremes of emotion, but really to experience them in less than 24 hours. Um, crazy swing of emotions, which I mean, this industry, it, it's full of that all the time. You you win a job and then the, the company disappears. You release something and then you find out that you can't take credit for it. Like there, there's highs and lows all the time, man. Like you have to, I don't think in school or in life, anybody really um, teaches artists the, the, the tools we need the most, like the emotional tools, like the tools that you need for being confident, but not being cocky and for being able to, to compartmentalize and just focus on today and not worry about tomorrow. And to be able to plan for two years from now, but also worry about how your next job is going to come in. Like those emotional kind of hurdles, we're never equipped with them. We learn a lot about software. We learn a lot about like building our own computers, but we don't really think about that other. It's not even soft skills. It's not networking. It's just like the emotional component of being an artist working professionally. It's something you just have to kind of, you hope you pick it up along the way and then you hope you have a safety net and you have a network around you that kind of help you get through it. But I don't know if a lot of yeah. people do. No, it's true. I mean, that emotional roller coaster can either fuel you or destroy you. I mean, you know, sometimes you, you can yeah. channel it to for good things. Now, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with those highs and lows? Um, I, you know, what? I've struggled with a lot the last year myself. Um, I moved from LA back to Chicago for a job. The job and the company and the industry that we really kind of centered on at Digital Kitchen radically changed in the maybe the first six months I was here. We had a lot of turnover. We had a lot of jobs that kind of were finishing up we've had a lot of new jobs come in and I've been really you know, instrumental and helpful in kind of finding that work. But I just haven't found the same community that I had in LA that I thought was going to be here. To be completely honest, it's, it's been um, something I've seen as a recurring theme to lots of artists as they get older, as we get into our 30s and 30, you know, mid 30s and 40s. I'm running to a lot of people who there's either just like a general level of loneliness because of the late nights and the the, the work mm, kind of takes right. away from some of the stuff you need. The other thing I'm starting to see a lot too is just like resentment. Like people who are just kind of like angry, like a, a low level amount of just anger that that's starting to build. But the way I've kind of solved it or tried to address it is um, I love social media. Like I, I love Twitter. I love Slack. But for me, it hasn't been enough. And, and my big thing this year, I think the best thing I've done in all of 2018 um, is I started doing these things called open office hours where from 12, like, like noon to one o'clock, anyone in the world can go onto my calendar and they can book 15, 30 minutes or an hour with me. And wow. Sometimes that's pretty the, cool. Yeah. It's been, it's been, it sounds, <laughs> it sounds a little ridiculous to say how big of a deal is, but it's been life changing to me because I literally will sit really? and work for four hours, five hours in the morning. 
have all this stuff happens and I can literally get on my laptop, go into an office and I can talk to someone in Ireland. I can talk to someone in Australia and I can talk to someone in LA and I may not have ever met any of them. They may be people who I spent the last eight years in LA hanging out with and working with, but inevitably those face-to-face one-to-one kind of intimate conversations about career, about life, about strategy for where, what, what decision to make. Um, sometimes I'm just meeting new people and we're doing demo reel reviews. I'll have them send me a link to their demo reel. I'll pull it down. I'll post it on Frame.io and I'll put 20 comments on it, right? And then we'll screen share and I'll go through their demo reel and I'll be like, this is what I think will work. This is what I think is hurting you. What kind of job are you really trying to get? Is this a demo reel that's just going to get you work or is it going to get you the work you want to do? All the way up to like people who own their own shops, shops you would you, you would know of, and um, people are just asking me like, what's happening in the industry with you at Digital Kitchen? What are you seeing from other people you talk to? Should I, you know, shut down my live action, you know, efforts and just focus on motion graphics? So just these really large conversations, and then sometimes, man, it's just like, I'm tired, I'm frustrated. How, <laughs> how do I get on for the next year? What should I do the next year? And it has been. It's like therapy. It's been eye-opening. Yeah, yeah. It's been a little bit like like professional coaching, a little bit therapy, a little bit um, just like being able to hang out with people that you don't get a chance to. But um, man, I look forward to lunch every day now because I don't know who I'm going to meet. I don't know what I'm going to talk about, (laughs) but I know it's going to be fun. Now, how do you, is is this open for anyone? Anyone. Yeah, I have an, um, there's an online app called Calendly. If you go to calendly.com slash otternod, my, uh, if you just go to that, um, most every day, I'm, I've been very lucky that uh, at lunch, most every day here at work, I'm able to take away an hour and I'll just, you know, I'll have something to eat with me and we'll just, we'll just talk. Sometimes it's four people wow. for 15 minutes. Um, sometimes it's two demo reel reviews. And then the, the hour long session I reserve for if somebody happens to be in Chicago on business or travel or seeing family, um, we go and get lunch. And I've probably done, probably done 15 lunches in the last like eight or nine months. People have never met before and we go get lunch <laughs> and just talk for an hour. Well, I'm going to camp here for a second. Now, how did, did you come up with this idea just randomly one day or just, how did, yeah. how did this come yeah, about? I, I was at, um, I was at the Bend Design Conference in Oregon last year, this time last year. And I was, um, I didn't know it at the time, but I was the keynote speaker. I had come in, had flown in and I was going to do a talk. And um, the night before everybody was going to do their talks, I found out that I was the last person to go, which is intimidating enough. But then we had kind of like a mixer and I met all the artists that were there. And I, I put them in as like capital A artists, like real artists, not like commercial artists like us. So I'm talking to people who are sculptors and people who are painters and people who are doing like social good art, like uh, you know things that are, are using art to help homeless people or people who are creating installations to memorialize someone famous who passed away. And I'm, the whole time I was just like, wow, I'm really, I really don't feel like I belong here. Um, so I went back that night and I rewrote my whole talk. My original talk was more of like a tutorial. And I rewrote my whole talk kind of doing what we're doing here, talking about how I struggled with the, my identity as an artist. I struggled even accepting that art could be a thing in my life. But then as I started you know, moving through the journey of being an artist, I realized how much my time as being a scientist or training to be a scientist really in, it kind of affected my viewpoint as an artist. And I basically presented like five things that I thought would be great for people to know from the opposite side of their field. So for artists to understand about a scientist and that they're not separate things, they actually are just two separate viewpoints to look at the same world. Um, and I didn't know if it was gonna be interesting to anybody, but it went really well. The next day um, I did workshops with people and I had so many people come up to me and we had these great conversations, but they were really short. It was like five minutes of talking to somebody like, oh, we should get on the phone and talk more. Oh, we should get on the phone and talk more. And I, I just, um, I found this app and I was like, wow, I wonder if people would want to have these same conversations 
but not at like a convention or a conference, but just do it every day. And I put it out on Twitter. I reached out to a couple of people. I think the first five went really well. And I asked those people to let anyone they know if they are looking for someone to talk to that I'd love to, love to talk to them. And it's, it's turned into, I probably do two a day. I've done two a day every day of the week for almost the whole year. I think since like March and it doesn't have any, doesn't have any signs of slowing down at all. <laughs> man, I hope there's no copyright on this idea because I'm stealing it. No, because uh, man, this, no, working please, from I, home is so lonely. I think it's exactly. It's frustrating, right? Like it, it feels like it'd be great. No, for sure, man. No, this is great. That's why I call it open office hours because it's like I, I hold no no ownership whatsoever over it. I'm not gonna copyright the name. Um, I've had <laughs> a lot of people ask me if I was gonna charge for it, and I have zero interest in charging for it. I'm probably leaving money on the table. But I get so much out of it. Just, just uh, I don't know what you want to call it. My my artistic kind of fuel comes from interacting with people. I've learned. So I feel like I get way more than other people get out of it. But I mean, I know other people charge, you know, like three hundred, four hundred bucks an hour for like career wow. coaching in quotes. But um, I I think it'd be I would be stoked if instead of taking money from it, more people just went and did it themselves and and talked about the power of just like getting on the phone and talking to somebody. And for me, we do it over Google Hangouts. So it's been great because it's not just this, it's looking at someone and seeing them and interacting with them. Oh yeah. Um, it, it, it's pretty powerful. It's pretty awesome. No, it's, it, you know, it's so true because like 21st century right now, everyone's on their phones. We, we look at screens more than we look in people's eyes. I was just thinking about that this morning. We don't, we touch the computers more than we have touched with a human being. And so over time, especially if you work from home, you can go days without talking to a real person. Yeah. I mean, I, well, I mean, I, I talk to my kids and my wife, but outside of my family, it, it can get it can get pretty lonely just working from home. It's, this is probably the loneliest job I've ever had because I'm just kind of by yeah. myself here. Sergey's five minutes away, but he's doing his thing. I'm doing my thing, you know. But it'd be awesome to have someone like what you're doing. Totally, I think you should totally do it, man. I I, I think you should just try it for a week and see how it is. And I, I think you should try to. If you can, open it up to strangers too, not just like a crew of like three or four people you always talk to. Because the thing, right. the thing I realized is that I was saying it at the very beginning of this is that there, there's something, if you can get it working, being a working professional artist does have those three components of I'm learning my craft, I'm creating something, right? Like I'm creating a product, whether it's for me or for someone else, but I'm also getting a reaction, right? I'm also, I'm creating a community, I'm creating a conversation with people that if you can get all those three things happen at the same time, Work doesn't feel like work. It feels like something different. I wouldn't say that it's fun or that it's play, but work can be something that can be enjoyable, that it can be something that when you wake up in the morning, you can't wait to do, not something that you can't wait to be done with. But I think because of the, the move for way more remote freelancing and people trying to find work-life balance and people trying to work in places that aren't so expensive, that they don't have to work you know, crazy amounts of jobs or two jobs or three jobs, Remote freelancing is great, but I think that the byproduct of it is, is that it creates a lot of loneliness and an incredible amount of disconnect from what should be an incredible so thing that's part of your part of your career, right? Like I, in school, my favorite time was when the teacher was done talking and all the assignments were done and it was just open lab and it was just you, your buddies and some music and you were Same just here. trying to solve a problem or you're trying to make something cool or you're all trying to outshine each other a little bit, but there was that competition, there's the collaboration, there was the discovery. And in the right studio environment with a good culture, with a good creative director, with a good owner, it's like that, but like on jet fuel because you're, you're on the, on the wire, right? Like you're in front of the crowd in air quotes that you're trying to make something and you know, everybody's going to see and you want to blow people away. You want to help everyone. You want it to get more work. But when you're just a person making a part of a pipeline in your home office with the lights down 
and all oh, you're yeah. doing is maybe talking on Slack, like I feel like you're robbing yourself of some of that. And I feel like this open offers hours concept is a way to get a little bit of that back. Dude, this is amazing. Like as soon as I heard it, I was like, this is the answer to what I've been looking for. I mean, cause it is a lonely road and just have, even if it's somebody who is not motion graphics related, somebody just outsider, just have a conversation about the challenges, the struggles and just whatever. So I'm definitely stealing this. I'm going to give you credit for it. <laughs> I'm going to have to call it something like the summers. I don't know. Some kind of, uh, some kind of, I'll, you're the creative oh, person. Summertime. I'll let you come up. Summertime hours. Summertime. <laughs> oh my gosh. Definitely. We have to like, uh, yes, there has to be some kind of, cause you know, you, we have to give you the credit for this. So maybe if we call this concept with your name or something in it, sure. then uh, everybody will know what we're referring to. This is pretty sweet, man. You know I think you said something really important that though too, and it, it so that open office hour. It's it's interesting how when you start talking to people, how new things come up, right? So I did this this design conference. I got to talk in front of people. Scary thing to get in front of three hundred people. You know what's going to happen? Right. It's successful, right? Those conversations turn into this open office hours. By doing the open office hours, I realized that like some of the conversations we're having with people should be something that people should hear, right? So I don't think that the world needs a lot more motion graphics podcasts. I don't think that I'm thrilled to be on yours, but I don't Thanks, think man. we need to have many more of them, right? Like we have quite right. a few and we're mostly interviews. They're mostly kind of one-on-ones. A lot of them are origin stories. But as I was having these, these talks, I was like, man, I want to have the same conversation, but I want to have it with an artist in a field that's not mine. That's not motion graphics. So mm. what I, I was like, I wonder if at like motion picture editors are having the same conversations. And I wonder if people who are working as sculptors or screenwriters, like what kind con- like, are those people not talking to each other either? So I reached out to a couple of people and a, a couple of those people helped me reach out to a couple more. And I have a podcast that I'm almost done with. Nice. It's, it's basically, it's a little different. It's, it's intended to be season based. Oh, each season is going to be 13 guests and each each of the guests get asked the same 13 questions. And it's taking me a little bit longer to get through it because I'm not just going to release the podcast. I'm, I'm cutting it as if all 13 of those people were in the same room having a dialogue with each other. So oh, because I have these, these kind of, again, using my science background, like if you're doing a, if you have a hypothesis, you have one variable, the variable is the guest and you have a constant. Those constants are the 13 questions. So you can kind of compare and contrast the, the industries and people's ages and how long they've been working because everything else is constant. So I basically asked 13 different artists, working artists, 13 questions about their biggest failures in their career and then how they addressed them and how that affected them going forward. So talking to people like Stu Mashwitz, people like Wes Ball, who's the director of Maze Hunter, I have a friend who sold a script 12 years ago in Hollywood and is chasing his next sale. And he's been there for 12 years trying to find his success. A younger uh-huh. artist, a female artist who was an animator who just became an art director, you know, that kind of fear, that imposter syndrome of like, I don't know how I can instruct or, or supervise people 10 years older than me. So it's been really exciting. The podcast editing is going great, but that would never have happened if I wouldn't have done this conference and had these open office hours. And it's now led into this other project. Well, you truly are a creative person and that's pretty cool. Why, why 13 though? I'm curious. I just love that number. Like you, like, like we're talking <laughs> like about 50, um, there, there's numbers in my life, like 13, 23, 50. I just thought I, I went through a list of about 25 people and it came down to it kind of magically, maybe it came down to 13, which is the number I was hoping for that accepted to do it. So I, I, I had the questions already set out without planning it. And I was like, Oh, 
that's like, I think the number was 12 or 13. And then the number turned out to be those 13 people. So really, I just want to get a really wide spectrum, you know, like get people that have had some massive successes and people who have never had success and people who've just started and people have been in it for a long time. So yeah, it's, it's, I'm really excited about it. So when is it, when, when is it going live? I, I'm finishing it up and then I'm going to send it off to um, a buddy of mine to do some post-production and sound design. I'm hoping it's going to launch at the beginning of the year. So basically, I'm still in the middle of cutting it, but it'll probably be six to eight episodes that I'll release one a week made of all 13 interviews kind of intercut with each other and with me kind of like, it's kind of like an NPR show where I'll give a little bit of commentary and then in the next question, I'll introduce someone or find a correlation between two people. And then my goal is at the end of those eight episodes... I want to gauge reaction and see if people are interested. If people are interested or if it's received well, um, or if there's a conversation that kind of builds out of it, I want to set up another 13 guests with 13 different questions about a different kind of topic. But for after the end of those eight weeks, then I will release each one of the full interviews with each person each week for 13 weeks while I'm recording the new ones. So hopefully the idea would be you get the main show that's more kind of edited and more like a, almost like a TV show, but just audio and then at the end of that, you'll kind of get the bonus material to be able to hear the entire interview for each person along the way. And then by the time that's done, second season's ready to go. Dude, that's sweet. Hey, I'm going to be your number one fan right here. I can, <laughs> I can well, assure I you it. that your podcast is going to do really well. That's because, I mean, we all learn from our mistakes and uh, I'm sure there's going to be so much transparency and it's going to be very authentic. Oh, yeah. Now, what are you going to name it? Oh, I already have the name. Um, I haven't told anybody yet. I don't think. Um, oh, so the, the general great. podcast is, I've told people about the idea, but I don't know if I've told anybody the name. The, the general idea of it is starting, maintaining, and growing your creative life, not career, creative life. Um, so in that idea of start, maintain, and grow, that doesn't sound that exciting. So I was able to go and come up with a couple ideas and I got the URL and Twitter and everything for um, Ready, Steady, Boom is the name of the show. Hmm. And it's kind of an analog to ready, ready equals start, steady equals maintain, boom equals grow. So it's kind of the the more energetic version of start, maintain, grow. Man. And can you share any of those 13 questions that you are asking your uh, guests? Um, I can't, I can't share the 13 questions yet because I'm Ah, still trying to figure out how many are going to come out. But the one thing I did do that hopefully will be really fun is I did a, a lightning round with each person. So I wanted it to basically start as a conversation. So I asked everybody the same 10 questions really quickly. And some of them are silly. Some of them are questions like, you know, how many pairs of shoes do you own? And do you have a favorite pair? Which one is it? If you could only wear one color other than black and white, what color would it be? If you could get hit by lightning but survive, would you take the hit? Um, but then we also, there's some <laughs> some pretty funny. deep ones. Uh, the one that I, I actually, it was kind of shocking was, I, I was just thinking like historical figures or something, but I asked everybody like, you know, if you could take one person to dinner, who would you take to dinner? Where would you take them? And what would the one question be that you would ask them? And honestly, mm, that one question deep. could have been a podcast on its own because you got, man, some heart-wrenching conversations. You had some really ridiculously funny ones. And then just ones of people I'd never even heard of that I had to ask like, well, who, who, who is that? Who are you talking about? Um, so yeah, it was it, even that, that little, little lightning round 10 questions. Um, I think there's almost a show within a show with that. Did you enjoy doing these interviews? Like as far as, cause I know this is something you probably never done before. This is so new. Just being a, a host mm-hmm. of a podcast. Like, what was that like? Man, I loved it. I mean, it, that, that's another thing we talk about, like technology being able to let you do remote um, freelancing. The technology behind being able to do a podcast has gotten so much better in like the last 10 years. But Zencaster, Calendly, Slack, it, it, right. Google Docs, all that stuff, like it makes it so easy to do this stuff that 
honestly, it felt like the only thing I wish I would have done is I wish I would have had it set up so that besides recording the audio, I had a video stream where the two of us could see each other. It's not uh, recorded because yeah. I don't want to make a video show, but just be able to see each other and kind of cue off of people's kind of like reactions. I think that's what I'll probably add for the next season is just being able to see each other to add that last little bit of humanity. That's true. When I used to record my conversations with Skype and uh, that was, it was a lot more personal. Like when you see somebody's face and you connect with them, it's different. And then I switched to Zancaster and it does take, like I've noticed that shift where it's like, oh, wow, okay, it's just audio and you lose that connection yeah. a little bit. And so I actually reached out to, I was telling you earlier, to the Zencaster CEO and they are rolling out the new feature with the video. In it, so it's oh, it's, awesome. it's in the works. So for your next season, you'll you'll have it. You know what I would tell you if it's a, if you have the ear that you can bend of Zencaster, I wish you could. And, and this is something I learned after the first two or three episodes. I wish you could on your side hit record as like a pre-record, and the light wouldn't go red for the the person listening, and then you could hit. And then you can hit record again for a second time to say we're going live. But man, the pre-roll and the post-roll of any interview you've Best ever heard in your life, so much better than anything said because people automatically put themselves on guard and are like, oh yes. man, I don't want to upset my employer. Man, if I say <laughs> that, my wife might hear that. Or like my buddy that I worked on and it didn't go that well, I don't want to think I'm talking about him. But then as soon as that red light goes off, people are like, oh man, can you believe the story that happened to me at this work? And like those gems are there. And once they're out and once you say them out loud, they don't sound anywhere near as bad 90% of the time as they do when they're just in your head. But man, the, the, the post show on every – I recorded I think an hour with Stu Mashwitz, stopped it, and no joke. We probably talked for another hour and a half afterwards and I never recorded any of it. And, like, and he's an open book. He's so, so open about his, his career and where he's at and his regrets and the things he wants to do. And I just, I would have had an even better show if I would have dumped the first hour as kind of the icebreaker and then kept the second hour as like the show itself. So yeah, that's, that's my hot tip to Zencaster. Give me a pre-roll record and a post-roll record and man, you'll get gold out of it. No, it's so true because it, you know, again, I used to do podcast interviews with Skype and they record the whole thing. And I actually have a lot of like when I recorded, uh, when I interviewed Chris Doe and Evan Abrams, we had some really good conversations afterwards and I have them all. And I even make it, made a joke with Evan Abrams. I was like, dude, man, this is so good. I'm probably going to make a, a podcast out of it. He's like, oh yeah, you should. So and he didn't yeah. say anything that, you know, I wouldn't, wouldn't want to share. But, uh, but yeah, there's definitely a lot of nuggets of shared posts because people relax. They're more open now. They feel like they got to know you a little more. And so now they're more transparent and same thing happened with the, with the, gosh, I can't remember with the name now, but anyway, I mean, we're totally derailing from the conversation, but, uh, <laughs> I'm looking at the time. I want to make sure that I'm mindful of your time. I, I, I don't want to take you over, but in closing, man, and this is a great conversation in closing, Give it, you know, we, we have a lot of people listening to this podcast. They're just youngsters, people coming out of college. What advice would you give to someone who's graduating from college or high school that maybe perhaps looking to break in an industry? Uh, what advice would you give them? Yeah, I give you a, a bunch of small things because I think they're not the things that people normally talk about, but they've helped me. And I feel like I, I see them lacking a lot of people. I'm finally at the point in my career where I have to hire people. And man, it, 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 the competition is fierce. Um, right. There's a lot of work out there, but there's things that I see that if you could do any one of these things well, I feel like for the right creative director, for the right studio, they would stand on immediately. I'd say the very first one, even today, it, this happened and it paid off. Learn to draw. 
Learn to draw in a way that you can express your vision that doesn't take you having to get on a computer, get an octane, start modeling, start animating, start roughing stuff out. Have the ability to weave magic in front of your clients and your supervisors. And that the one thing that still looks like arcane magic and will probably always be that way. And as we get more technologically advanced, will be even more powerful. Be able to draw. If you can do, if you can do a sketch when your client is saying, oh, I'm thinking about this thing. It'd be really cool if there was this tree, but the tree was kind of made out of like digital parts, but I'm not sure what that would look like. And while they're sitting and talking to you, you're literally just starting to sketch that out and you just flip the napkin over or you flip the sketchbook over and you're like, what about this? That is an instant way to create trust, wow, yeah. to create partnerships and to express your vision to where everybody, all of us complain that we don't get to be as creative as we want because we have to do what the client wants us to do, right? If you can pull that trick off where the client's like, oh my God, you can actually weave this magic in front of me and help me figure out what I'm really trying to say. That's the difference between being a vendor and being a partner or being a junior artist and being a creative director. So I would say first off, learn to draw. I think the second thing is learn. I tell people as fast as possible and cell phones are amazing for this, but the faster you can get a real deal camera in your hands, a DSLR, a micro four thirds, a full frame mirrorless, and carry that with you as much as possible and always be in the habit of crafting imagery with a camera. I think it's incredibly powerful. I see so few artists who can actually work with any kind of cinematographic eye. Lots of people can throw shallow depth of field, can throw all the octane effects on top of it, and I can get glares and glints and blurs and glows. Very few people can do it in a way that actually looks photographic and actually adds to their storytelling rather than just adding gloss on top of it. It seems like a small thing, but man, you can go through a stack of people's frames, style frames, and I can find in 20 people, I can find the one that's going to win a job for me. And I'd say most of the time that's because they know how to make a frame look photographic or make it look real. So that that's a big one. I think the third one I would say is learn to be able to talk. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense, but there's so many people that either talk too right. much and most of it really isn't saying anything, or there's people with incredible ideas and they don't know how to express them. Either it's confidence or it's having a strategy for how you want to talk. But um, when I was in school and when I started going to art school, I knew really early on, I could tell from the teachers that did a good job and the teachers that were bad, that being able to speak publicly and be able to speak in a way that's passionate and people you know, listen to you is probably a, a skill that my school's not going to teach me, but it's going to come in handy at some point in my career. So I actually took a speech class, the same speech class, every semester for two years with the same teacher and forced myself to basically audit the class every single time because I was really bad. I don't think I'm great at public speaking, but I was really bad. I stuttered. I lost track of where I wanted to be. I was very, I had, I lacked a lot of confidence getting in front of people and talking. And I feel like I've finally gotten to the point now where I feel comfortable, but that's something I don't see many people starting out. They're either overconfident and they talk too much or more than that, they, they just don't know how and when to say what they want to say in a convincing manner. So, and that is easy. That is just repetition. That's just getting in front and doing it so you're not scared of it anymore. Um, but is that is that good? I think those are the top three. Dude, you gave, this is like a, we can have a whole podcast episode talking about the three you gave, man. That's so true. You know, I was just in, uh, at East Tennessee State University, they had like a job fair and Sergio was speaking there 
And uh, the, the first guy that got up to speak, it was a great speaker. I mean, English is my fourth language. I mean, who am I kidding? I'm not that good at all. But he, this guy got up. I mean, he's worked for a chemical, interestingly, because you're, chemical, you're wanted to be a chemical engineer, but he worked for this big chemical plant in, in that town. And uh, he's supposed to speak for five minutes, but he started talking by himself. <laughs> anyway, just to- a great speaker, but you can tell he's very immature. And then afterwards, we were talking to a lot of people they thought, you know, we, we were registered as an, an employer and uh, people would come by to talk to us, to drop off their resumes. And dude, it was just straight up awkward, man. That made me feel so awkward. Mm-hmm. Some people would come up and just like, they're talking to you, but they're staring somewhere else. And oh, yeah. then I felt like yeah. I had to keep the conversation going. I'm like, well, what's your favorite thing to do? Uh, it was just like an awkward <laughs> yeah. day, you know, where you're just like trying to, how's your day? It was good. Uh, what's your favorite color? <laughs> you know, so it's, it's hard to yeah. keep the conversation going. They're totally like nervous. And anyway, so after that, I remember thinking, it's like, man, you're an American. You should be, you should be nailing this. Like, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, okay, I get, I'm yeah. an immigrant, so it's harder for me, but someone who was born here and speaks the language really well, you should, or, or just knows the language. This is their first language. You should uh, definitely work on mastering it. That's something I'm working on. I, I really want to improve because communication is very important everywhere you go. It doesn't yeah, matter what goes, career you're it, in. It goes back to that thing we were talking earlier about just like, you know, no one really teaches you those real soft skills like emotional confidence or being able to speak, you know, publicly or like there's something that kind of goes hand in hand with that. It's like this industry is really weird because you have to have enough confidence to be able to get in complete strangers' faces to ask them for millions of dollars of work. But you can't be so confident that you appear cocky and you're never going to listen to them. So it's like you're trying to find this balancing act between ego and humility like you want to be humble because you want to at least allow them to take a step close to you to be a partner. You know, if you're trying to, if they're trying to get you to hire you, but you don't want to walk in just saying, well, whatever you want, we'll do. Just please let us have the job and you tell me what you want. You know, so you have to have confidence, but there's that threshold where you, know, you can't be cocky, so cocky that it, it's a turnoff. It, it's kind of great. You said that it's like kind of like, an, it's kind of like dating. There's, there's the right. awkward date syndrome. And then there's the guy who's a jerk syndrome, right? Like you got to find a, be, a way to be comfortably somewhere in between those two. No, it's interesting. I went to, there's a, I'm sorry to keep talking about this, but we just uh, last night went to this local restaurant. It just opened up here. It's like Be Good Burger or something like that. And it was uh, their first opening night or another like first week or something like that. And I came up to the register and, and I was a little confused about something. So I was asking some questions and the dude made me feel so stupid the way he was talking to me. And uh, I just remember thinking, I, I get what he's trying to say, but he could have said it differently and uh, customer mm-hmm. service skills out of the window there. Because, you know, what if you meant, uh, what's that saying? I, I remember following Jim Rohn and he said, what if you meant what's bothering you, but you said what's wrong with you? I mean, big difference, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> so it's just, totally it's just not only, but it's just kind of like choosing, I guess when I got married, I started paying attention more to that because you got to be very diplomatic about how you speak and what you say. And every day, man, I, I struggle with that. Sometimes like, ah, overshared. Ah, so, you know, you, you open up your heart and you're like, why did I say that? And then you start second guessing. Sergey does the same thing with Sergey. Like even with podcasts, like, oh my gosh, like what? Like editing it, looking back at what I said, I'm like, why did I say that? This is so stupid. But anyway, struggle is real. Struggle is real. Yeah. Last question, man. What's coming up for you? Um, let's see. So I got the podcast. I'm working on a web comic, which probably won't be done for another year, but I just, when you work as a, at a company and you work as a creative director and you work with clients all the time, the one thing you do miss a little bit is kind of owning something of your own, you know, like you're in the service of so many other people. Um, and I, I was racking my brain, like I, I've been writing scripts to do shorts or do a web series or do a feature. I have like animated music video that I want to make. 
And I kept on thinking like, well, what's the smallest unit of creativity I can do that I can do regularly that I can own that would still be storytelling. And I've always drawn my whole life. And I used to make comics when I was a kid and it's not expensive at all. You can throw up a Squarespace site and get some hosting and buy a URL and you basically have a miniature business. So yeah, I'm working on a web comic, which should be hopefully super fun. I'm trying to get way ahead of it. So the podcast and that. And then right now at work, I have two huge 18 month jobs that we just, um, I went out and pitched and won. So those are, yeah, thanks. Two really big jobs. There's a a job in Abu Dhabi and a job in Las Vegas that has tons of CG and live action and interactive and all that kind of stuff that I I just realized we didn't talk about After Effects or cinema or Houdini (laughs) or any of that this entire time. That's crazy. (laughs) Yeah, uh, it's true. It's true. Well, hopefully, hopefully it'll be interesting for people. But yeah, I have these two really big jobs that um, I, I have pitched a lot of experiential and interactive and we've won little things and we've done small things, but we've never done something this big for this big of audiences that hopefully lots and lots of people will experience. And I, I'm getting a chance to test out a lot of uh, my scientist part is coming back in. I'm getting a chance to test out a lot of theories I've had for like social interaction with art and with like design. So that stuff, it's a little vague, but um, because they're both really early, but really excited about those. So yeah, those are both, and they both start at the same time. They both end at the same time. So it's a little crazy to be doing them both. Um, And I'm just looking for lots of artists to work with on both of these jobs. So you're a busy man. Every one time I come back on and, uh, and, and make a passionate plea for people to, uh, to try to uh, work with me on the next one. Hey, now how can people get, speaking of that, how can people get in touch with you? Um, the best way is uh, I'm on Twitter like crazy. Um, everything that I'm on social media wise is Odernod, O-D-D-E-R-N-O-D. So hit me up on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. And again, if you want to, if you ever want to talk for a little while, um, I'm on Calendly.com slash Odernod and just book 15 minutes. Say hi, introduce yourself. If you got a demo reel, let's get 30 minutes and we'll, we'll I'll, I'm really blunt. I'll tear through the, the demo reel, but it's to make it better. And if you're ever by Chicago, let's stop and, you know, let's get some lunch and hang out. Awesome. Well, Ryan, thank you again for sharing your journey with us, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Thanks so much for having me. It's awesome. Hey, you Media family. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please feel free to share it on social media. I'd also be very grateful if you can rate, review, and subscribe to Ucomedia Podcast on iTunes. It will only take you a few minutes, but it will help out a lot in ranking the show. And it will also help other creatives discover this podcast. So huge thank you in advance. And if you have any comments or questions, feel free to email me at vladimir at ukremedia.com. And definitely check out our courses and products at ukremedia.com slash shop. And as always, don't forget to join our online mentoring group on Facebook at ukremedia.com slash community. Right now, we have well over 2,500 talented people in this group. It is a great online resource for those of you trying to grow, and it's absolutely free. Thank you so much for joining me on the journey of this podcast. I appreciate you, and I look forward to serving you in the next episode of the Media Podcast. Bye-bye.